near-death experience podcast, an ongoing exploration of spiritually transformative experiences, including NDEs and other phenomena, in order to elucidate the ineffable and better understand our spirituality. All episodes are available at ndepodcast.org. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and guests are not necessarily those of NDE Podcast, the NDERF, any sponsors, or, for that matter, anyone else. In the end, the only opinion that really matters is yours. Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official source of audio accounts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, What Near-Death Experiences May Teach About Life on the Other Side. If you are interested in checking out my book, you can go to neardeathexperiencepodcast.org. It's also at uh, ndepodcast.org. They will both go to the same page. And click on books, and you will find that book there. We're going to start today by reading a listener experience. Claudia contacted me and uh, told me about some out-of-body experiences she had. And I would like to start by sharing that with you, Claudia says. I've been listening to your podcast recently, and I must say that I love it. I had two out-of-body experiences before. I had never been close to dying, not even hospitalized once. I feel blessed for it, since I'm almost 40 years old now. I feel pretty good about my health and spiritual life. I do want to share my two out-of-body experiences. First one, I was 15 years old. I remember taking a nap around 4.30 p.m. on my bed. Suddenly, I felt a vibration in my body and I opened my eyes. I couldn't move. I wanted to scream, but I couldn't move my mouth. I guess that was like sleep paralysis, but then I felt the vibration stronger in my whole body, and I felt very heavy. Then I found myself sitting on my bed. Half of my body was upright sitting. I didn't turn around to see myself, but I saw myself laying there, Like I had 360 degree vision or like I had eyes on the back of my head. I freaked out. I looked on the wall and saw my posters from Menudo, the pop band from Puerto Rico. Back then was 1985 and I had posters everywhere. Everything looked blurry. I didn't understand what was happening. Suddenly I woke up all agitated and breathing very fast and scared. My second experience was when I was like 24 years old. I was sleeping in my bed. It was maybe midnight or 1 a.m. when I started to hear the same high-pitched vibration on my right ear. Then I opened my eyes, but without opening my eyes. It was dark, so it was like I had my eyelids closed, but I could see a little bit of light when I finally realized, or when I finally really opened my eyes. I saw the ceiling of my bedroom. 
two inches from my face. I turned around and saw my body lying on the bed. I thought, this is crazy and awesome. Then I felt a presence in my room, like an evil one. I wanted to get out of there. Then I was floating in the middle of the universe, or the sky at night with all the stars. It was amazing. All I could hear was music, the most beautiful music. It touched my soul, my whole being. I felt love and peace. I was in a bliss of pure happiness. Then I felt like someone pulled me from behind and I woke up in my body. It was real. My conscious was awake. I know it was not a dream. After that, I have been reading and learning about near-death experiences and out-of-body experiences. I don't feel alone anymore. There are millions of people experiencing this every day. I believe and I believe in God, the divine, and our eternal life in the universe. We are God, and God is us. I know we are all going back. I can't wait to hear that beautiful and amazing music again. So angelic. Thank you for your time. God bless you. Well, Claudia, God bless you too. What a beautiful set of experiences. Thank you for sharing this with us. I find it interesting that... uh, as you were um, going to sleep in both of these experiences, they were surrounding sleep, which is actually quite common with um, out-of-body experiences, and many of which have all the elements of a near-death experience. I would say for an individual, it's rare, as in one person, you know, if you just randomly picked a person, it's, you know, it's kind of rare that a person has these kinds of experiences around sleep. But if you were to take a thousand people, and any random set of a thousand people, and were to find out from them how many have had this experience, you'd probably find a few. Which is to say, it's common in the broad scheme, but uncommon in the individual scheme. And I, at least that's my take on, on the uh, commonness of these kinds of experiences, but they do happen, and they happen all the time. And so, um, first she talks about the vibration in her body. This is something that comes up in near-death experiences and out-of-body experiences in just about any of the kinds of experiences where someone is leaving their body or they're in the light or something. In fact, if you ask people who don't mention this vibrational sensation, you ask them, was, how did your body feel? What was it like? And they, they say, it was like electricity pulsating through my body. And I don't know how to describe that or how to um, compare that um, other than to say vibration. Now, if any of you have had lucid dreams, sometimes lucid dreams can be accompanied by this vibrational sensation. What that vibration is, I don't know. But it's so common in these kinds of experiences that I take it to be a clue that this may be 
either a near-death or out-of-body experience. Now, I've had enough of the vibrational sensation in my own lucid dreams and so forth to know that just because you have that sensation does not mean you're experiencing an out-of-body experience. That's just, that, that's just not necessarily the case. However, if one is experiencing that, there is a significantly higher chance of an out-of-body or near-death experience. And I would say also to those having a near-death experience, it is very likely, most likely, that you're going to experience this vibrational sensation. I don't know that it's necessary. I don't know if it happens in every experience, but it's so common that it it's likely, I think, for those that have such experiences. She also discusses having 360-degree vision like having eyes on the back of her head. She can see in front of her and behind her at the same time and probably all around her. Well, like she says, 360-degree vision, which, of course, she freaks out. She's a little bit weirded out by this and like, whoa, you know. And and so being agitated like that woke her up, it, apparently. She did say everything looked blurry. She, there were her posters on the wall, but they were blurry, and uh, that's interesting. It, it appears from several such experiences that as someone is first leaving the body, there is this strange um, transitional time where senses can become blurred or, or broken up or different things. People talk about their hearing being muffled, almost like they're listening from another room or from underwater or something like that. They can hear the stuff, but it's severely dampened. And in this case, uh, she is, Claudia is describing vision being blurry. And that sounds very consistent with this kind of transitional um, experience of coming out of the body. In fact, when people are out of the body and they're and they're having a near-death experience and and it's time to go back, they sometimes have hard a hard time getting back into the body. Um, I I don't fully understand that since they're passing through walls and passing through whatever is it is it that they're getting in the position of their body and it's just they're just not sticking or are they just not able to you know lay down in the bed because they're passing through it. I mean they're standing on the floor and uh, people don't talk like they're on a, you know, uh, on always on the ground level or something, you know, why are they not falling through the floor? I think much of that, my guess, is that it's, uh, it's all this mental game of they go where they think they should be or, or that they want to be. If they feel like there should be a floor there, there's a floor there. And yet they reach out for some other person to touch them and their hand goes right through. So there's, it seems like an inconsistency, but the fact that it's consistently inconsistent in the same way <laughs> simply demonstrates that there's something about this we just don't understand. And it's not an inconsistency at all, if that makes sense to you. Okay, so then she talks about um, the second time and um, there being, she being in the dark, but even though she had her eyelids closed, she could see a little bit of light. And when she finally really opened her eyes, she says, I saw my 
the ceiling of my bedroom two inches from my face. That's kind of interesting. I, it's as if the spirit just tends to float up to the top of a room. I'm not sure why that would be, but that seems to be the case because people often find themselves in surgery or something. Suddenly they're standing in the upper right corner of the room watching from above. And it's almost like, in the, in the way they describe their sensations, it's almost like, um, you know when you're riding down the road, okay, in, in a car, and you're staring out the window, but you're not really looking at anything, and your mind's just zoned out, you're thinking about whatever, and then your mind comes back into focus, and you're seeing out there, still. You're in the same position, doing the same thing, except your mind comes back into focus of what's going on at that time. And you're suddenly in this car staring out the window. It's not like you felt like you went anywhere, but you suddenly become aware that you were kind of zoning out. It's like you become aware of your surroundings, even though they were always there, but now you're aware of it. The way people often describe their feeling when they're standing up in this corner of the room looking down. It's kind of like that. It's like they come back into focus. They're like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, I zoned out for a minute there. Or something to that effect. Because it's it's like they're not, I mean, sometimes they're surprised. Sometimes they are. But sometimes they're simply not. Which itself is surprising. And it's as if they have been standing there all along and uh, and just zoned out for a time for their conscious experience or something I don't I'm not trying to to speculate on what's going on I'm just trying to describe what what people's feelings seem to be communicating is this sense of I've been doing this all along but now I'm aware of it I was zoned out and now I'm zoned in so they're in this upper right of the room, and sometimes they're in the middle of a conversation with a being at their right, and they're like, it's like they came into the conversation halfway through. As, as you would if you were in the car having a conversation, you zone out while staring outside, somebody's talking to you, you zone back in, and your mind backtracks to hear, what was it I just heard? And then you respond to it. I'm not sure what to make of that. Not sure what to make of it. Except for the possibility that our spirit, while in our body, and therefore the main controller of our body, is also possibly in some kind of state, I don't want to say separated from the body, but I will say independent of the body, having its own experience that is not unaware double negative just threw me off there, that is aware of life on the other side. So your spirit is aware of life on the other side. It's aware of, of uh, the general memories of what you did before and what's supposed to come and, and all this. But you've got that tuned out on the conscious physical level because you're in this little daydream, so to speak. I'm just trying to describe mentally what the spirit is experiencing, what your spirit is experiencing. Um, 
when you leave. Anyway, that was a long tangent, just a, a way of thinking about this. Um, in Claudia's case, it appears that she is not floating there, you know, just kind of like zoning back in, but rather she's still zoned out, but she's having this out-of-body experience, so she freaks out, and she's like, wah, you know, and in the second experience that she has, um, and she realizes she's um, floating just two inches from her ceiling, she turns around, sees her body, and thinks this is crazy and awesome, so she's enjoying it, and then she feels a presence in her room like an evil one, and wanted to get out of there. Now, <laughs> that's, that's so eerie, <laughs> if you ask me, how often are we sitting there sleeping and there's an evil presence in our room that we're not aware of? I don't know, but I have heard also, and this is something that may dissuade many people from attempting to intentionally have these kinds of experiences, but, but it could be that as a person fi finds themselves drifting out of their body, that there's something about that aura, that experience, that attracts spirits to be there, especially if they are spirits who would love to have that body or, or take possession of that body or perhaps just have some experience with that body because they don't have their own. I don't know. I don't know. But that would explain why the evil would be there. If there's an evil spirit who does not have access to a body but wants one, recognizes that, oh, somebody has drifted from their body, I'm coming to get it. I don't know. I don't know. But it doesn't appear that anything happened to her body because um, by the time she comes back, um, she is she's feeling great, uh, as far as I can tell. She's feeling great when she arrives back. But anyway, so she's having this experience. She's like, I want to get out of here. I don't want to be here. And that intention seems to have had the desired effect of taking her out of there. And she's floating in the middle of the universe or the sky at night with all the stars. That is so cool. I'd be interested to ask her, did you sense the ground beneath you or were you just surrounded by these stars? Um, uh, you know, were you out there in the universe or were you just, you know, maybe just above your house seeing the stars above? But it kind of sounds from her experience like she's out in the middle of the universe because she says in the middle of the universe. And she says it was amazing. She says she could hear music, the most beautiful music, and it touched her soul. She could feel love and peace and was in bliss and pure happiness. Probably in contrast to that little bit of eerie feeling that she was apparently feeling with the uh, evil presence in her room even though she was a little bit feeling kind of like this is crazy and awesome about just being in the situation in general but um then she feels something pull her back as if physically almost it sounds like pulled me from behind and i woke up in my body she says it was real my conscious was awake i know it was not a dream so so cool. So cool. So thank you so much, Claudia, for sharing that. 
We'll go ahead and share another experience from enderf.org, the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation website. Um, and this is a man named Donnie. And uh, Donnie says, and, and oh, and this experience happened in 2004, toward the end of 2004. Donnie says, 12-27-2004, approximately 12-15 a.m., I was brought to hospital by ambulance, having severe chest pain, vomiting, numbness of right arm, etc. I was wheeled into the emergency room. The doctors knew right away what was going on. I was hooked up to all the monitors, and the doctor was speaking to my wife in the hallway when, from my point of view, the room began to spin and collapse into a funnel shape. I mentioned this to the doctor and my wife, and then the lights went out. In my head, that is. From here, this is my wife's account as to what was what went on when I was gone, as I was gone. I began to fall off the gurney as I was sitting up at the time. The doctor ran in and caught me before hitting the ground, threw me back on the bed, laying me flat, and began CPR, all the while yelling, Code Red! My wife was looking at the monitors. She told me that everything was flatlined for quite some time. It took me a bit of time for the hospital staff to respond to the code as the room was out of the way and around a few corners. The doctor's voice didn't carry out to the nurse station very well. I'll also say that we were in the middle of a good-sized snowstorm at the time, so wind noise was a factor as well. Once emergency room staff got into the room, they zapped me a couple of times before I came back and got things going. From my point of view, once the room started to spin, I was collapsing in a funnel shape and spinning faster and faster as it collapsed, kind of like sucking everything into itself. Then I was in a field of dandelions in full bloom with the Grand Tetons in the background. I remember walking through the field, looking up at the Teton range, thinking to myself, what a strange view this is, as I've been to the Tetons a number of times, and there isn't any field that even looks close to that for many a mile. I also noticed in the pain in my body, or that the pain, all the pain in my body, had gone, and my vision became very sharp and clear. But also, I couldn't see much out of the sides of my eyes. Some type of tunnel vision was going on. Then, I guess, they were zapping me, and I remember my wonderful vision in front of me being destroyed. The vision was stretched out of shape and focus, like stretching a rubber band around your finger to shoot. That kept getting more, uh, that kept getting more out of focus. Then I remember opening my eyes with a whole crew of people hovering over me. A nurse was calling my name. I went to try to sit up, but they all pushed me back down, and told me to be cool, lie still. And then I saw my wife and asked what happened. They let her come over, and she told me, and I said, no way, to which she had the doctor come over, and he told me the exact same, to which a few of the nurses said the same. At that point, I had to believe them, and one thing I remember forever is the doctor asking me if I saw the white light. 
to which I said no, but conveyed to him this story, and he tells my wife and I that I was there, meaning the other side. That is the end of Donnie's experience. You know, this is cool because this is an interesting example of an aspect of the tunnel that you don't hear too often. Um, the image of things around you stretching out like a rubber band. In fact, we talked about that weird transitional something or other that seems to go both si to, uh, on both sides. The, uh, the vision squeezes out like a tunnel around the room and then he finds himself in this beautiful scenery and then describes how um, the vision was stretched out of shape um, before him so he had kind of you know the sides were just you couldn't see because it was it was just a stretched image whereas in front of him apparently was in focus but he, he says that it was going out of focus as it stretched. And that makes me think that this goes both sides. As you begin to leave your body, you may have trouble with either vision, hearing, smelling, whatever, and, um, to a noticeable degree. And maybe when you first get to the other side, things won't necessarily be immediately in focus. Which may be an explanation of why many people describe um, saying, I didn't see anything. I just knew there was people there and, and there was this there and that was there. It wasn't anything I saw. There was no vision about it, but I had these experiences. That makes me think that they were having a transitional experience between this side and the other. Now, those who go on and have deeper experiences, more involved, where they have, you know, a tour with a tour guide that goes and talks with family and everything, that just seems to disappear, that uh, um, unfocusedness or, un, or imperfect uh, senses. It, it seems that it gets to a point where everything is in particularly real and lifelike life focus and sharpness, probably even more than this life. Now, another thing I find interesting in this is that uh, Donnie describes the Tetons. Now, when I first read this, I'm thinking, well, how does he, why does he call it the Tetons if it doesn't look like it as far as the eye can see? But that's not exactly what he says. He, he just says that he was in a field that, uh, that doesn't even look close to, or that he knows that there's nothing like that. Um, on the Tetons, which, if if he's judging the mountain range as being the Tetons based on the distant mountains, that's the only thing I can think of um, that would tell him that this is the Tetons, unless this is one of those intuitive knowing things where he's just like, oh, I'm in the Tetons. I, of course I am. That's That's just where I am, you know. Uh, for me, I, I don't know, I mean, there's only a few uh, places, mountain-wise, that you could drop me and I'd be able to tell you exactly where I am, but if the entire field and everything around me, um, as far as I could reach, whatever, um, was different, then I, I'm pretty sure I would not recognize it, but 
you know, uh, Donnie says that he had been um, many times in in to the Tetons. But it does remind me of something interesting um, that is portrayed in the Chronicles of Narnia, the seventh book, which is the last battle. They find themselves, the, the Pevensey kids and uh, their friends and, and so forth, basically everyone who had been to Narnia at some point, we're now going to stay in Narnia, and but they said this, uh, but their experience in this new world after Narnia is wiped out. Don't want to give you all the details about that in case you're interested in reading it. If you haven't, it's a very cool and symbolic book. I highly recommend it. But um, um, it, they're in this whole new place, and they start recognizing things and saying. Well, wait a minute. This is, you know, the uh, um, this is is near Aslan's How, and this is, you know, the near the castle of Narnia and so forth. But it's it's somehow different, and uh, and the conclusion they come to is that this place where they are is the place from which Narnia was designed, as if this was the place that always was. And that Narnia, being this mortal, physical, dangerous place, was designed after it, designed to look like it. Which is a really interesting thing when you consider that we all come from heaven, that the things that we find from near-death experiences that are in heaven, we have similar things here, and, and we have them there. Which one had it first? I don't know, but I do sense from all of this, that we are being inspired often to bring to mortal earth what they have in the spirit world in some way. Not sure how that works, but it does seem to be um, the case. So when Donnie describes the Tetons, and yet being very different than as he remembered it, and yet being more of a paradise than the Tetons that he knows, um, maybe that's the real Tetons from which the Tetons were designed after. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, before we wrap up, if you would like to contact the podcast, either to share your own experience or to ask a question or make a comment, you can do so by uh, either calling 970-NDE-CAST that will give you an answering machine that will give you three minutes. If that's not enough time, go ahead and call right back and pick up right where you left off. That's easy to splice together into a full message that we can share on the podcast. Or you can email neardeathexperiencepodcast at gmail.com. You're also welcome to contact me personally at chaz at ndepodcast.org. Or you can contact John at John at ndepodcast.org. You can also support the podcast by going to patreon.com slash ndecast. And once again, you guys, thank you so much, all of you, for listening.